It's episode 64 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast, your weekly Milwaukee Brewers podcast. I'm Steve Garshinsky, and joining me today is J.P. Breen. And filling in for Ryan is Milwaukee Journal Sentinel sports writer, Kurt Hogg. How are you doing, Kurt? I'm good. Just dandy. How are you guys? Good. Glad you could be here this week, talking a little Brewers, even though, you know, season's done a little earlier than we hoped. Yes. Yes. Now I hate watch the World Series. You're hate watching it. That's that's fully what I'm doing. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Because JB, JP, how many uh, World Series games are you tuning into? I have currently watched zero innings of the World Series. Okay, so I'm kind of sitting in between you guys, I think, because I'll I'll kind of dip in and out depending on what's going on. But yeah, it's hard to just when the Brewers get so close, it's hard to just turn it on and think like, oh, yeah, I can just enjoy a baseball game. Yeah, I mean, the last time they got so close, you know, 2011, it was they, there was it was clearly that you should root for the car or for the for the Rangers. I almost said a bad word there. <laughs> um, but now it's like, oh, do, do I cheer for the Boston team or do I cheer for the team that eliminated the Brewers? It's so it's a, it's a lose lose. It is. But, you know, it's. I don't think anybody's surprised by how the series is going so far, but we'll get into that in a little bit. So anyways, uh, you can help fans find the podcast by rating and reviewing Milwaukee's Tailgate on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We want listener questions, so follow Milwaukee's Tailgate on Twitter at MKE Tailgate. Email questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or follow our Facebook page. You can also follow the three of us on Twitter, and you'll find that in our Milwaukee's Tailgate Twitter bio. And Kurt, what's your Twitter uh, handle there? At C-Y-R-T, Hogue, H-O-G-G. So, yeah, because somebody has your... Uh, they have my real name, yeah. And you've been petitioning Twitter. Oh, yeah, at Twitter support. Yeah, and it, it hasn't worked yet. So we should probably get more listeners to, to help you out with that. <laughs> Maybe we can get that handle back for you. So uh, finally, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can visit patreon.com slash tailgate. Our ball and glove level patrons will receive the Minor League Extra podcast. Uh, Milwaukee's Tailgate is sponsored by Carbon 4, from Dragon Flute to Block Party to Fantasy Factory IPA. K4 specializes in English-style malt bombs and perfectly balanced hop grenades. Uh, out now, you have the Night Call Smoked Porter and the Downton Apple Apple Ale. Also, Fantasy Factory, available in cans, so go uh, grab that. And don't forget, you can always just stop in the brewery and get something to eat because they do have a pretty good restaurant there. Um, we also have a deal exclusively through Milwaukee's Tailgate. Use the promo code MKE Tailgate in the Carbon 4 web store. Receive 20% off your order. Visit the brewery on Kinsman Boulevard or find their beer in your local retailer. As always, check out carbon4.com for more information. Carbon 4, beer brilliance. Milwaukee's Tailgate is also sponsored in part by Sound Devices, a premier manufacturer of audio production gear, and they're located right here in Wisconsin. Sound Devices gear is used worldwide and is found on the set of Oscar-winning films and popular TV shows. And if you're looking to create a professional-sounding podcast, check out the MixPre 3 and MixPre 6. For more information, visit sounddevices.com. Okay, so we're recording on Sunday afternoon, and I guess by the time everybody listens to this on Monday morning, the World Series could be over. Will be over? Question mark. I I don't know. What do you think, JP? Well, Red, I Red think, Sox are up three to one. Well, no, I think it'll probably. As much as you can predict any single game, I mean, Boston's clearly better. That's like the one part about. I haven't watched any of of the World Series, but that in part, it's not been like trying to avoid it because of what could have been. I was just like, well, yeah, Boston's going to win. So, yeah, it's not a terribly dramatic World Series. Boston's way better. Kurt, you could say, yeah, you agree? Uh, yeah, <laughs> they, they, won a, they won 108 games. <laughs> they did, yeah. yeah. Well, and the American League was stacked. Those, those teams on top were all 
just really good. They were better than anything else that was in the the National League. Yeah, and I, I've, we don't really have to get into this, but I I was kind of thinking about this. If the if the Rays are in the National League and they don't play as many games against as many terrible teams, do they win ninety games? It felt like the National League was maybe a little more. The National League le- was balanced, less terrible at the bottom. Yeah, yeah, but. Either but way. they also had the the NL East, and they had a 108 win Red Sox and 100 win Yankees. That's true. Yeah. So they didn't exactly have a cakewalk. They had to they had to make up all those games against the Orioles, <laughs> and they did. Yeah. So uh, one thing we did see in Game Three that was interesting, and we kind of got to witness it in the NLCS, was Walker Bueller is really good. JP, I know you didn't watch it, but are you surprised that Bueller was able to go seven innings and only give up two hits? No, but I I. I did miss any kind of discussion for the Brewers side that if Walker Buehler was on the Brewers, would they try to be as creative with their pitching revolution and only let him go three innings? <laughs> I, You know, uh, Kurt, maybe you can chime in on this. I mean, do you think the Brewers, if they had a, a horse like Walker Buehler or Clayton Kershaw or somebody like that, would still be operating in a similar manner? I mean, kind of similar, but no. There, I mean, the, I think the main reason, well, not maybe not the main reason, but one of the main reasons that you know they were getting kind of, kind of cute, I guess, with with guys like Wade Miley in bullpen games is because that's who they had. Wade Miley is not Walker Bueller, and if they have Walker Bueller, they're not going to you know try to resort to, you know, having to rely on the bullpen that much. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the bullpen usage is a function of who you have on your roster and who's available. Where are your strengths? The strength of the pitching staff where they really had the elite arms was in the bullpen. So let's get those guys in and get them to pitch more innings. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to try to, you know, ride Wade Miley or Chassin or anybody like that for more innings than they can really pitch, you know, realistically. Right. Well, and I think the other big thing, too, is that somebody like a Walker Bueller or somebody that they could rely on to go six and seven innings, you know, routinely would actually free them up to be able to be more creative with their bullpen usage in other starts too right because it gives them those days in which they can rely on not having to use as many arms having somebody that can go a lot deeper and so maybe they would actually get more creative in the games in which their you know fourth and fifth starters are going or they could tag team with you know i don't know if it'd be junior garrett and freddie peralta or something for the for the fifth spot uh, and so you can just see that basically what the Brewers are doing, if their pitching revolution is really, you know, anything, it's basically being willing to uh, maximize the talent that's there by pitching people in unconventional roles. Um, and you can't the, the way to maximize a really good pitcher like Walker Bueller is to just let him pitch a lot. Right. And so that's why you get in a position where it wouldn't actually be out of character for the Brewers to be able to have somebody like that. It'll be interesting to see what they're going to be able to do in, in the starting rotation because David Stearns and Craig Council were talking about the fact that they actually want to add another starting pitcher or two. And so what that looks like, if it's going to be another Chassin or if they're trying to look at what they can do to maybe package something together for a higher-end guy, I don't think that they have the prospects really to go and get you know an ace or anything like that but it'll be interesting to see what they have in mind in terms of adding to the starting rotation well and i mean they they used i i think they used 11 starters but they really used like nine guys they had a couple of the the bullpen games and and stuff like that um so they they showed that depth is definitely i think a 
teams need depth in 162 games. There's no de- denying that. And, you know, I mean, with um, both Woodruff and uh, Corbin Burns, you know, clearly they have some depth coming up in the organization as well that they can use. I mean, Kurt, do you think they're going to lean on those guys a little bit more going into next season? Yeah, do you think you, they, I think they definitely are. But I think they're also going to go in with nine, ten guys. I mean, you just look at the current group that they have, and that's eight, nine, ten guys. And a lot of those guys have minor league options too. So, I mean, very we could very likely see Freddie Peralta start the year in AAA and still make 15, 20 starts. Yeah. I, well, and they, they showed that they had no issues shuttling guys between AAA yeah, and back. You know, they, they, they uh, piled up the miles. Um, and they were able to cash those in by the end of the season when they had a few extra games to play. So, um, oh, we have a Patreon question from Jeremy Natchman. He asks, am I crazy, but isn't Chase Anderson's situation somewhat bizarre? He was yanked from the schedule to start on uh, August, or no, September 23rd, and basically went into witness protection after that. As far as I can tell, he wasn't injured. Was he around in the dugout during the playoffs? Do you think his relationship with the Brewers organization is still okay? I find it hard to believe that we'll come into next April with Chase as the third starter after he was given the straight-up Matt Elbers treatment during crunch time. So what do we think is going on with Chase Anderson going into 2019? JP, you want to take that? Yeah, I think Chase Anderson's still somebody that they're looking at for the back end of the rotation, somebody that is under contract for, I believe, $6 million or so. Um, but I think Chase Anderson's 2018 showed exactly why they put their like why they structured his his contract extension exactly how they did, right? They gave him, I believe it was two uh, team options and they locked him down for two years. And it was a little bit strange, but it was it was kind of them hedging their bets that they weren't necessarily 100% sure that 2017 Chase Anderson was the real Chase Anderson. But if he was, they wanted him for a couple of extra years. And if we saw last year that, yeah, you know what? The velocity wasn't wasn't always as high as it had been. Uh, the curveball certainly wasn't as good as it was the year before, and he was more homer prone. And I still think next year that based on Chase Anderson's kind of history, he still can serve a good function to be able to come in if his if his location is good, uh, if he's able to kind of turn it around. He's shown flashes. Uh, it's just kind of what what version we get. I think that they would be. He's the kind of guy that is uh probably a quick hook but i think so but to also answer uh jeremy's question he was in the dugout i saw him multiple times in the in the playoffs so he was certainly there there were a lot of guys i mean even steven Vogt was there over the vast majority of of the year jeremy jimmy nelson was there uh and so i think he was somebody that was still tried to be made a part of the team as much as possible and i think Kurt's exactly right. Like they're going to go in with as many starters as possible, and I think Chase Anderson will be one of them. He also has an option. Which will it be used? Prop bet. He has an option next season. I believe Chase Anderson still has a minor league option. Yeah. Oh, okay. I could be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure I'm. I feel pretty solid about that. Um, the the big issue with Chase this year, JP, you mentioned it was the home run ball. I mean, he he gave up home runs on was like sixteen, yeah, fifteen point four percent of his fly balls, Um, and that's kind. But the interesting thing going into next year is that kind of runs. It's the exact opposite of what happened with balls in play. Two thirty nine BABIP against, and he's shown he's a pitcher that pitches to weak contact when it's in play, a lot of pop ups and stuff. So, um, do you think that 
do you think that he's a guy that's primed for some home run regression or is is the home run problem a legit thing with him I, I don't you have the stats in front of you but I, I think if you go back he's aside from 17 he's had home run issues yeah I remember the first year they got him he was yeah 14.9 home run fly ball in 2016 league average I believe this year was this year was around in the 12s somewhere so yeah so I mean I, I think he's always going to have a home run issue I think if you get him in one of those good seasons where he can keep the ball in the park that's where we can get another 2017. But I mean, as far as I, I think how there are a lot of guys who I think normally you'd be surprised were left off of a roster for the postseason this year because they only went in with legitimately two starters, you know, and then it was, it was Chassin, it was Miley. And then it was, how are we going to use long guys out of the bullpen to cover innings? So I would imagine it, if there was an issue with any of the starters, uh, you know, on the team, it, it wasn't just Anderson because it, it extended beyond him um, for that. So, I mean, how do they react to the decisions that the organization made to, to put the roster together? Any idea? I mean, we didn't hear any grumbling, but who grumbles when you go into the playoffs? I mean, I think for Chase, there has to be there had to be a lot of disappointment. Um from what I from what I gather and what I know, this is obviously limited. Not being around the clubhouse every day, but he doesn't seem like he's kind of the ego sent egomaniac, you know, guy that that is is concerned about himself so much. But at the same time, you know, when you're, the club commits this money to you and you come off the 2017 that you had, and all of a sudden you're not in the playoff roster after being in the rotation all year, it's got to hurt. It's got it's got to be rough. But um, you know, hopefully he'll, hopefully he'll come back. 2018 or 2019 spring training and um as of now i would think that he's penciled in the rotation to start the year yeah i do we think was was chase anderson one of the big, biggest disappointments for the team in 2018 i mean he was a guy that they were relying on he made starts he made more starts than he did in 2017 but you know they just weren't quite up to the level people were hoping for yeah i just want to jump back to the the previous point uh quick and i apologize is i think after how what keon broxton said after spring training in terms of being disappointed and being sent down to triple a after orlando arcia was sent down to triple a and there were some people in the clubhouse that kind of expressed disappointment at that and he was brought up and really made a big part of the postseason run the fact that zach davies was left off but then put on the postseason roster and moving that way i just think that my my feeling is most people on the roster know that in some way in a negative way they could be left off kind of at any time like it, there are so many people that are there that there is a lot of flexibility that can be moved on but i think if you look at a lot of the young players that were being sent between AAA and, and the big leagues as the year progressed, I think you actually saw a lot of the players, you know, whether it was kind of hearing what they're talking about in interviews and yeah, maybe it's a lot of kind of stock phrases in terms of like, we need the whole roster. But I think a lot of those guys were like, even if I'm sent down to AAA, like I'm going to be back because they actually, I could be back at any moment. And I think that you probably see a lot of people buying into that roster, that roster usage because they did so well. If that roster usage was happening and they didn't make the postseason, I think that you see a lot of guys maybe question it or griping a little bit, but it's hard it's much easier to get buy-in from an entire roster if the results are coming. Yeah, and I think I think there's a nice balance between all of the you know, all of the team central, team first 
talk that the Brewers delivered during during the season. And I, and I think that that was real. I think they really did buy into to the team concept that Craig Council brought to the team. And then at the same time, though, there is like like JP was saying, there's a little bit of that that inner human element where you know you're going to be upset when you're getting shuttled back and forth, or you're not as big of a part of the team as you thought you would be or you thought you should be. Yeah, it, it always helps to win too. I think everybody can get on board with a plan when you're when you're putting up more wins, uh, especially than everybody expected. So, um, going back to it, do we think Chase Anderson was he one of the bigger disappointments of the season? Uh, you know, I, again, he pitched; he wasn't terrible the entire time. He just wasn't an ace. Yeah, he never seemed like he was that dominant. Yet he was he was a he was a major league starter all year, and I think at the end of the year numbers for him weren't all that far from what he was projected for. No, he was very like in line with I think what most projection systems would have, regardless of what he did the year before. You know, you said velocity was down a little bit. He had some issues with his curveball. Are those things that are correctable for him going into twenty nineteen? Yeah, I would I would think that they are are correctable. I don't necessarily know what the you know whether or not he made mechanical uh, tweaks, whether or not his arm was a little bit tired, whether or not it was kind of a rebound after a velocity. Uh, you know, you can see your velocity peak a little bit and then kind of step back the other way. But I I would kind of push on whether or not he was the biggest disappointment because, and I know that this will probably be controversial because of what he did in September and into the postseason, but for the vast majority of the year, Orlando Arcia was the biggest disappointment. I, I think that would be a, a pretty defensible thing. And I think that Domingo Santana probably gets a shout too. Yeah, I don't think anybody argued with Arcia getting sent down to AAA because he was just a complete black hole in the lineup. Yeah, there was I mean there was a month there where like we were we were literally happy that Tyler Saladino, you know, was getting starts at shortstop over Arcia. He just looked lost at the plate. Yeah, who was what what's the list of shortstops they had? They had Saladino, they had Miller, um, you know, Perez was putting <laughs> about Brad yeah, Miller. <laughs> Brad Miller was in there. I mean, yeah, what was it? July July and August was really quite the uh, Nate Orf. <laughs> they went, yeah. Eric Sogard played so, there a little. Well, and Sogard was what worse than Arcia at the plate. Yeah, he was like the worst player in baseball. I think Sogard just got a little bit longer leash, just because once they decided to cut him loose, that was it. There was no holding on to him down in AAA or anything like that for the time being. So yeah, Arcia was a disappointment. Santana definitely was a disappointment, especially. Well, again, it, this is why it's always funny in the offseason when we go, how are we going to get all these guys onto the field? Oh, they have so so many players. Where, where are they going to fit in? And it's it's crazy once you get into the season how all of that stuff like naturally works itself out. And then you start to wonder, okay, where's the depth on the team? Yeah, I think to, my last point about uh, kind of Chase Anderson is actually I was just pulling up what he did in the first half and the second half because I remember – thinking that in the second half he was pretty much unplayable down the stretch. And his strikeout rate and his his walk rate uh, improved dramatically in the second half. The thing that got worse was he was almost giving up two home runs per nine innings, which is just, it's obviously something that can't play, but I mean, his strikeout rate was back up to eight per nine, and his walk rate was down about 2.8. And so, I mean, those things were trending in the right direction. His, his BABIP, which something Kurt mentioned earlier was down at 260 and it was just the fact that he just couldn't keep the 
he could not keep the baseball in the yard. And that was something that just played. But we've seen guys like that, right? We've seen the Marco Estrada's of the world that just gave up home run after home run after home run. But then he went to Toronto and was really good for a couple of years because he was able to kind of turn it around. So maybe there is that uh, there is that aspect in there. And he was a little bit better against lefties than I thought. He was actually uh, lefties only hit 219 off him this year. So there was a little bit better uh, kind of an more well-rounded split in which, you know, righties, he was able to keep in check and, and lefties, he was doing pretty well against if he can, just like her was talking about, if he can keep the baseball in the yard, he's, he's usable. So I think he's certainly in the radar, but if they can improve, you'll have hypothetically, right. You'll have Justine, Jimmy Nelson, depending on how he looks in spring, whether or not he's going to come back and you could have Woodruff and Burns. And if they're able to upgrade a fifth spot outside the organization, Chase Anderson might be that guy that's left out. But then that's that even leaves out Zach Davies at that point, and he's not necessarily somebody you would see being successful out of the bullpen. So, yeah, they're going to have a lot of decisions to make. And I mentioned it last week that Woodruff or Burns, they might leave one of them in the bullpen if they want to keep that bullpen as flexible as possible. Yeah. So we have a Patreon question from Jason Spitz. He asks, with the dearth of left-handed starting pitching options, do you think the likely? Do you think it's likely they try to bring back Wade Miley? And we were just you're just running through the the rotation possibly for next year, JP. And clearly, there there are a lot of spots already full. So, I mean, do we fit someone like that back in there? I I don't think Wade Miley comes back, but that's because I think he gets paid. Yeah, I agree with that. I don't think the Brewers are going to be willing to pay him what someone out there is going to pay him for his 2018 season. I mean, yeah. Kurt, do you have any idea what do you think he would get on I, the market? I might be the world's worst uh, free agent market estimator but what it what is i mean like you think a chassin like contract is yeah so that was for him? two years and what chassin get about 16 million yeah something like that but i mean like tyler chatwood got three for what nearly 40 million uh mike minor had a half of a good year and was picked up for three years by texas like if i had to pick i think that the texas rangers give wade miley a three-year deal Three year, how how much money does he get in that? I have no idea. It just seems I don't know. You just, just okay. It just seems like the mo- it, what actually seems like the most like Wade Miley deal ever is signing with Baltimore on like a three year forty million dollar deal. <laughs> but I just because they're in the middle of tanking, I think that they probably won't spend it. So like the next person that makes really weird starting pitching deals are like Texas, maybe the Angels. Or like Seattle, maybe the Mets, maybe the Mets. Do the Mets? How many starters do the Mets have? Well, I that, think that doesn't Donald- matter because they only pitch about ten to fifteen games a season. So, well, and now that Doug Melvin's not going to be their GM, who knows? Yeah, so it, it will be interesting to see what happens with Miley. But yeah, it kind of looks like he doesn't fit in with the Brewers both because they have options and who knows how much money he's going to make next season. So we appreciate what Wade Miley did this season. Yeah, JP. I was going to say, I do wonder if I wonder if like, it's actually more likely that geo signs like a one year deal. than Wade Miley comes in. Cause I think Wade Miley is going to get a multiple multi-year deal just because he was so good. And he can actually point and say that it's because of my cutter and people can make that argument uh, where geo was you know he wasn't great he was fine but they actually were able to show that he was willing to pitch out of the bullpen and he was willing to be a little bit more flexible on that i wonder if he signs a one-year deal and it's kind of 
kind of a, a swingman deal. He could be their Tom Gorzolani. <laughs> there you go. I, is Geo that far f- removed from being a usable starting pitcher? You think that he would be in that situation? Because that seems like a guy who you've had a few years and now people are really questioning your stuff, and that's when you get stuck with that kind of a role. I mean, it just seems like somebody will pick him up to be a starter, don't you think? You'd think someone would give him a couple of years. I don't know, man. He's like just in the way that the free free agent market is going. He's thirty three years old, and God, is he thirty three? And his walk rate was like four and a half per nine last year. Like his velocity is down. I don't know. I mean, maybe, but I think if if you're somebody like Geo, you probably see the writing on the wall that your starting pitching career is not necessarily where it is and so do you give yourself an opportunity to maybe pitch out of the bullpen and remake yourself as a zach duke type of guy yeah it'll be interesting to see and follow and you know obviously if it's anything like last off season we won't find out until pretty close to spring training (laughs) until february 20th actually you know what guys like that i think they they got picked up early, didn't they? Some of the relievers and guys who weren't real high profile. They yeah, kinda, I felt like the relief market. Was yeah, they kind of got picked off early, and nothing was exciting. That's why everybody was waiting till till around spring training when things finally started to move. So, um, okay, we were talking about Wade Miley. Was he the biggest surprise for the for the Brewers this season? Yes, <laughs> there were a few. So, I mean, they're they're obviously. I mean, choices. the fact that Christian Yelich was like a seven and a half win player was a very big surprise as well. But I don't think anybody looked at Yelich hitting 30-plus home runs and kind of having the season he did and said, we didn't expect that. It was always there. Yeah, and the guy's sure, 26. Sure. There was a, yeah, yeah. But if you, had, if you had said Wade Miley's going to have, what, a sub-3 ERA? Yeah, Wade Miley's got to be the biggest surprise, right? JP, I is mean, that, that the one you take? I think so. Mainly because, like, Wade Miley was a joke. Like, he was, like, the joke online. Like, do you really want Wade Miley to be your guy who's starting? And then September rolls around and we're like, actually, yeah, actually, yeah, let, let's have Wade Miley start. That's actually a good idea. I felt oddly confident every time he grabbed the ball in the postseason. Well, and what's crazy is that Miley was that good late in the season that he overshadows that Shasin was like their ace for the season. Like Shasin was really good, too. I think normally he'd be the guy we'd point to as like, that was really a, a pleasant surprise what what he did for the team. Um, you I know, mean, I, I was gonna say I think that Jesus Aguilar also gets a shout for being one of the biggest surprises as well. I mean, there was some talk that maybe he might not even make the roster. Yeah, you know, so they had a couple guys like that because you know Miley was. They just had faith in him because they easily could have cut him loose when he was injured. Um, at the end of spring training, there they didn't need well, to hang on to him. No, but they restructured his contract a little bit. Sure, sure. You you are right though because they could have done what they did with Giovanni Gallardo, which is basically they signed him to a similar type of deal that they did with Wade Miley. They cut him pretty quickly. Yeah, so I, it was it was interesting to see how that kind of worked out. You know, okay, Aguilar is one of the position players that was a big surprise. Um, I mean, I guess if you want to throw Yelich in there, but Yelich, JP, you're you're always a, a big Yelich fan. So when you see this kind of a breakout, you know, do you go I'm surprised or you just kind of say? Well, I'm glad if it happened for the Brewers and not before he got to the Brewers. In some ways, it's it's hard to say you're surprised when somebody with the elite hitting tools that he has is able to do it over the course of an entire season. But I will say that, I mean, his his power production was a big surprise. 
I, I don't think that anybody was really projecting him to hit for the kind of power that he did. And to be able to do it without giving up anything of his, you know, his batting average, it's not like he did. It's not like he pulled a Matt Carpenter where suddenly he was hitting 260 because he was trying to access a little bit more power, right? Like he was able to actually do something in which he was more well-rounded. Um, but the other guy that might, well, the other guy that might be somebody who was a pleasant surprise. I did not even expect Freddie Peralta to be on the roster maybe until September as of late September call up much less pitch like meaningful innings and make a postseason roster. Yeah, that was a big boost to the pitching staff when he came up and he gave them those solid starts. I, they kind of needed it at that point. Um, and, and he was able to provide that. Yeah, it felt like when they called him up for the chase spot start in Colorado, it was going to it was literally just that. And all of a sudden he pitched so well and he missed so many bats. It was like maybe these guys are going to give him, you know, a, a spot for much of the year. Well, and he was up and down because he had that yeah. great start in Colorado. He was very just barely got by what you kind of expect from a rookie in a second start. And then he had a couple fantastic starts in a row again. So um, is he he seems like he's still the guy who's going to be the odd man out next season. Don't you think, JP? Yeah, I think it sounds like it. I mean, just because of the fact he's got options remaining, he's he's 21. He's twenty. Yeah, right. He's twenty-one. He's he's going to be, I think, one of the guys who's a little bit more unpredictable on a game-to-game start, just because his control is so shaky. And if you're trying to, the Brewers are going to be in a position in which they're going for the NL Central crown again. I mean, they're not going to be coming into the season in which they're saying, "Well, we're just trying to progress from last year." Like they're going to go in with pretty big expectations, and I think Peralta is probably not somebody just because of the inherent volatility that's there. And if they already try to go to somebody like Woodruff and they try to go to somebody like Burns, you're not going to necessarily want another kind of wild card in the rotation. Yeah. Um so we have a, a Twitter question from Justin Sayan, Sayan? I don't know. You see that there, Kurt? Yeah. I'm going to go with with one of those one of those pronunciations. Okay. Anyways, he asked, should we bring back the moose? And what position should we look to add in free agency? So I guess if you want to take that first, Kurt, do you think they should bring back Moustakis? The prospect of it doesn't entirely entice me a ton at that $15 million price tag. I, I wouldn't be opposed to it. Um, but moose is probably what, like a 110 WRC plus kind of guy that you could probably project him for good defense it would also move Shaw to second I guess it all depends on what they're going to do at second base like if they're going to non-tender Jonathan Scope then sure but I also don't know if Moose would even you know it's a mutual option he would have to one in sure yeah JP do you, do you think is it an option where they even cut Scope loose that would make this Moose move possible a Moose move a Moose move um yeah I kind of feel the same the same way that like if they are able to work out something and it might not actually be the mutual option it might they just might work out another contract right i mean they might just sit down and say let's do a two-year contract and let's split the difference on some of the money because i think the hard part is moose is not going to be one of the guys that gets a lot of money on the free agent market no he, Um, he showed that last season well right even though he doesn't have the the compensation piece tied to him i still think he is somewhat of kind of profile of a player he is he's not going to get a big contract and so they might be able to work out something but it's all going to depend on how much do they plan on giving second base to keston here as as early as late may if they do 
I think that Moose is actually a really nice option because at second base, you can actually deal with, you know, Travis Shaw and, and probably Aaron Perez because he'll be here forever. Um, I think that you'll see, you could see them kind of like work out a platoon at second base for a month and a half and be fine. And then Keston Hura can come back. The question then becomes what is Travis Shaw's role then? Uh, well, okay. Here's my question. If they bring back Moustakis and Hira is, you know, ready to come up to the major leagues here pretty quick by like May, is Shaw basically the other side of the platoon for Aguilar? And do you trust Aguilar next season? I was just thinking about that. That Shaw Shaw would have to find at bats at first base and he would have to find at bats at second base. And I, I mean, I don't think you can expect, a, you know, Aguilar to hit 38 or whatever homers he had this year and and be a 130 WRC plus guy. I mean, that's just, that doesn't seem like it's a smart thing to rely on. Well, and for how good Aguilar was in the first half of the season, he really struggled down the stretch. So, I, you know, I don't think we can just say like, okay, his line for this full season is what we can expect in 2019 as well. So uh, do they have to have that kind of contingency plan for Aguilar? And I guess my question is, would Shaw kind of be that guy? It could be. I, I think that, it's a little bit too soon to write off Eric Thames because Eric Thames was actually quite good before he got injured. And then he just really wasn't able to pick it up. And then, yeah, he struggled down the stretch, but he was getting what two at bats a week where it was difficult to make that role. The question for me is like, if you bring in Jonathan scope, you're saying he's going to be at second base and you're guaranteeing the full contract. And he's projected to be somewhere between, you know, nine and a half, ten and a half million in his last arbitration year he could be a, a good player, right? I mean, we've seen it in the past couple of years. He can be really productive. But if your plan is still, again, to bring up Keston Hira, if you bring up Keston Hira in late May, then what is jo- what is Jonathan's scope? I don't think he's somebody that's a great bench bat. I don't think he's somebody you really want at shortstop. And He's not going to bat against Madison Bumgarner every single time, so we won't well, have that dramatic. That was his one moment. His one his moment. One moment. <laughs> he, had ups, he had chances. <laughs> He did. I, I, Talk about a, a, a bench bat. They definitely gave him opportunities to come in and get some big hits. He had big at-bats that he just couldn't cash in on. I wish, yeah. they, I wish they had pinched at Santana in in the second inning, third inning yeah. of game seven. But yeah, but It was the second inning. And I just pictured, like, if we had that one shining moment montage, like, scope against Madison Baumgartner would be there. Oh, yeah, definitely. That That moment was amazing. Oh, yeah. Actually, like, why don't we have? We should have a one shining moment montage in the Brewers season. <laughs> well, I don't. I don't have rights to get all the uh, MLB footage to be able to put that together. So I don't know. Somebody else is going to have to get in contact to do that. I think the Milwaukee Brewers media department could do that. You would think. And and Tim Dillard could like headline it. <laughs> he can he can sing it, or he could dub smash it. Yeah, dub dub smash. No, no, not dubstep. Not dubstep. I don't. He might dubstep as well, but I think it's a dub smash is what he does. Though he, though he's he's graduated beyond that, and it's all like movie parodies now, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. But I think that's like the same. I don't know. It might be the same app. I'm not sure. I, it's the same thing, but yeah, it's not doing songs. Can anymore. we get him and Eric Kratz on the Fox Sports broadcast? What would that take? Uh, you I know, Kratz is thirty-eight. He's probably going to be looking for something soon. I think I'm for that. I do want to point out that we're not old enough to sound as old as we did as we tried to figure out what Dub Smash was. I know. I'm I'm a hardcore. I'm like 23, so 
Yeah, <laughs> I should know that, but I don't. You're, you're 23 running on 50. It's not a big deal. Wait, but hey, how many miles do you have to put on every week covering all the uh, games you do? Many, many miles. So you don't you don't have time to sit there yeah, no, in, in your busy. car like trying to dub smash while you're getting to the next location, right? <laughs> this is correct. Though I want to see that. I want to see you on the sidelines of a New Berlin-Eisenhower game doing a dub smash uh, while you're playing in the background. Go Lions. There we go. So, um, Hey, uh, Richard Parker on Twitter asks, long-time listener, first-time tweeter, who is your ideal future championship starting lineup and rotation constructed only of guys in the organization currently? So, I mean, we have some options because, you know, we're talking about the rotation next year. You have your Woodruffs. You have your Burns. You have your Peraltas. We have Keston Hira coming up. Um, I guess are all of those guys the core for what we hope is a longer... You know, we always just used to talk about windows in 2008 and 2011, and it seemed to always build to like one or maybe two seasons, but this seems a little bit wider. So are those guys kind of going to be in that core that maybe extends this for, you know, three, four, five seasons? Yeah, I mean, I, what what does ideal mean here? Is it like ideal, like my what I could choose, like my favorite players, or like? It, I, I think ideal. You, you know, my ideal would be the most wins, most wins. Well, so I'm wondering, is this like what the ideal would be for next year, or just like with? People this is in- a future championship team, I guess. For uh, what the Brewers have and how they're going to build a future championship team, if we're hoping that's what they're they're building towards, you know, who's Who's going to be the core of that? Who's going to be the the lineup and the rotation for that? Well, if it's just people in the organization right now, I think your starting rotation is likely going to center around. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say like they're gonna make their championship years like five years from now because that's going to be impossible to project. So, I'll, I'll kind of say what would the ideal be for next year, and I think you'd look at. Uh, Chassin, uh, and if it's ideal, I'm going to say a healthy Jimmy Nelson. Um, I'll say Corbin Burns. Uh, probably Zach Davies and probably Brandon Woodruff. I'm, I, I actually am starting to come around to the idea that Brandon Woodruff is actually in the bullpen and gives them a lot more flexibility to be able to give them a core there. But I don't necessarily know who the fifth one is. It'd probably be Chase Anderson at that point. But um, but I waffle there a little bit. I don't know what you guys think about that. Yeah, Woodruff is interesting. I mean, he, he's been a starter. I mean, they started him in the minor leagues this year as well. But like, do with their plenty of options at the major league level in the rotation right now is like, is Brandon Woodruff going to be there right-handed, not quite as good as Josh Hader, Josh Hader, you know? Um, I don't know, but he's definitely a part of, of that, that team. I just don't know if he cracks the rotation uh, for me. Ace Chanderson is definitely in my ideal uh, <laughs> championship rotation because it would just bring me joy. And we've seen him be really good. Yes, so yeah. it's not like it can't happen. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Chassin, um, Corbin Burns as a number two starter, uh, and then the th- the number three is going to be what? Freddie Peralta. Yeah, sure. I'll take Freddie Peralta, and then um, yeah, that'll round up my playoff rotation. Yeah, and what about the lineup? Okay, so we have Yelich, and it's Yelich for another four seasons, and we're looking at ages twenty seven, twenty eight, twenty nine, thirty. Mm-hmm. You so, know, so same with Kane. We have we have prime Yelich. We have Kane locked in. Um, uh, Hero's really the big ad, I think, that everybody's waiting for. Unless, is there, JP, is there someone who can come up 
behind the plate and give them both the defense that they kind of require and the offense, you know, to give them a boost in the lineup? So behind the plate, you're meaning catcher, obviously. I'm uh, not, I don't think they have any umpires coming up, so. No, I just was like, think, I was making sure you weren't suggesting and trying to say at the plate and just had a little minor aneurysm. No, it, uh, it was behind the plate, the, the, the position of catcher. I'd, I mean, Nottingham is the guy that people are going to point to, and I think that his defense actually did get a lot better. I, I don't necessarily know he's somebody that's going to be an impact guy at the plate. I think he's somebody who can hit for some power, but we saw last year that he's still kind of pull heavy. Um, he might take a little bit to adjust at the plate, which is is fine. Um, and then it's you see them really investing a lot, both in the international market and in um, and in the draft and a lot of catchers. So they have a lot of young catchers that are coming up that actually have shown some skill. Mario Feliciano is is somebody that we've talked about a lot. Uh, Peyton Henry it was one of the bigger guys down in the Midwest League. He actually hit for quite a bit of power. His defense still has a lot of kind of a lot of. Uh, refinement needed um and then they've got like jose sibion they've got guys down there that they've spent money on in the international market that that need to come along but as of right now i think if you are saying which one of their catchers is going to be a potential everyday guy it's probably feliciano but that's four or five years away so i think if they're going to look at something for catcher it's going to be nottingham needs to take a step up or it's going to be outside the organization yeah, and I mean, that's always, I think, what every organization is trying to find is the guy who can both not be, you know, a, a liability behind the plate and can give you something in the lineup. And it's just, it doesn't exist in many places. It's really hard to find. Then you have your guys like Yasmani uh, Grandal, who turned into a, I swear, if he would have played every game for the Dodgers behind the plate, the Brewers would have won the NLCS. Probably, I mean, the, he was terrible. He was like the Brewers' fifth best player in that series. He seriously was. He was so bad. He was just like handing them wins every time the Brewers scored. Like I think you could trace it back in some way. If they didn't hit a home run, you could trace it back to some kind of Grindall error behind the plate. You know, so it was it was a tough series for him. But you know, the Dodgers are in the World Series, so I guess he can still get a ring out of this. So, anyways, uh, Sean Andrews asks, uh, "How would you rank each midseason move on a scale of awesome to scope?" Awesome to scope. And scope was, I don't think there could be a move that worked out worse than what Jonathan Scope did, except, I don't know, did they give up a ton for scope? No. I mean, I know that a lot of people are going to somehow now say Jonathan VR is like the person we're missing just because he had a, he was not bad um, for Baltimore. But he, no. what he exactly. did in Baltimore, I, I swear to God, he had like uh, four weeks in Milwaukee where he did kind of the same thing during the season. So that didn't really give me a whole lot of regret seeing that out in Baltimore. It was super funky to see what happened with the second baseman that were traded because Dozier and Scope were two. I don't know if there was any bigger second baseman that were traded at the deadline and they were traded for big league second baseman assets. Logan Forsyth was better in Minnesota than Dozier was and they were traded for each other and then VR was better than Scope. It was just weird how that worked out. Random, yeah. Random side. Except for Dozier, I think right when he got traded, didn't he hit a home run against the Brewers? Yeah. Like immediately? Mm -hmm. And that was about it. So, um, The other point too to say is well, two things. I, I know that I defend Jonathan Scope more than like maybe his own family um but 
actually looking at Jonathan VR's numbers, they were pretty much identical. He had a he had a 392 slugging percentage in Baltimore and a 377 slugging percentage in in Milwaukee. Um, yeah, he wasn't really that much better. His walk he took a couple more walks, but that's about it. Um, like I said, he had moments. It, it looked at, at at moments like he was better in Baltimore, but he had had those moments in Milwaukee. Yeah, and but I think the important point to 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 address and the part that's going to make everybody roll their eyes and the part that they hate it. Uh, Jonathan Scope, like his move was not, f- uh, presumably not for just a couple of months, right? I mean, like he is still under contract for next year, and like those things still count in terms of being positive things for the Brewers if he is actually good next year. Well, and they did give up Luis Ortiz in that deal too, right? They did, and I think he got hurt. Am I only, am I the only one that's not super high on Luis Ortiz? No, okay. uh, there are a lot of people who are not. Ortiz is a guy that I think he has some raw skills that are enticing, but he's never done anything on the field like with any consistency or stayed on the field with any consistency that I think people are sold on him. I mean, JP, do you know of anybody who's really sold on Luis Ortiz long-term? No, I mean, there's there's been some talk that, uh, well, and the Brewers actually experimented with this, that uh, he might actually need to move to the, to the bullpen. I mean, he is somebody that I think has just been somebody that people dreamed on for years and years and years, and the stuff never really kind of played up. But he, a lot of people said, oh, look, he made a start with, uh, with Baltimore, um, and it wasn't good. Uh, he has a zero, he had zero strikeouts and uh, three walks and one wild pitch in 2.1 innings for, for, Oriole, for the Orioles with a 15. 15- ERA. Well, and what was insane about that is I don't think anyone around the Brewers who followed Brewers prospects thought that Ortiz was anywhere close to making a major league start. No, he wasn't. And and the big thing is he then injured his hamstring. And the long thing, the long history about him has been whether or not his body could hold up to a starting role. And we've talked about the fact that they've babied him in terms of innings. We've talked about the fact that his body type is um it would be a nice way of saying it. Uh it requires maintenance. And he has had a lot of lower leg injuries as well, uh, just because of kind of how he pitches. Um, And so the fact that they were going to have to make a decision with him in terms of 40 man roster spots this upcoming year, and he wasn't progressing as much and he consistently got passed up again and again in the internal, uh, the internal depth chart. And it wasn't a situation where you could see him having a clear space, clear path uh, up the organization at this point. So no, I don't, I, a hundred percent agree that Lu- Luis Ortiz, and this is something that I think either we mentioned on the main podcast or Ryan and I talked about on the minor league part, but pretty much everyone that they traded in the, uh, during the mid season kind of trade bonanza, aside from somebody maybe like Gene Carmona, they all had down arrows next to their name. Yeah. Um, so I guess who was, who was the best move they made at the trade deadline? Was it Moustakis? So the moves they made, let's see, it was Moose, um, Cedeno, well, for including the waiver deadline, it would they had Cedeno, Geo, Scope, and was that was that it? Those are the big ones. I can't think of. Was there another one in there that played any kind of a role? I'm trying to think if there's another bullpen arm because that otherwise that's kind of what the it Gio was. Gonzalez move was good. I mean, he had a what like a three ish ERA and five starts. I feel something. like he was barely there though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Moose was that was probably the the best move. Um, and I feel like the return that they gave up was was you know pretty. It, it, it's not going to kill them. Brett Phillips was not good in in Kansas City. He struck out like forty percent of the time. No, he's another guy that 
I think he had a real quick burst right when he got there that made everybody think like, oh man, did he just need to get a chance? And then no, he turned yeah. into the Brett Phillips that we saw struggle. His his defense is is what is what makes his floor relatively what it is. But the fact that he's striking out forty percent of the time, and the fact that if he's in Milwaukee, he's, his defense isn't going to be what he's used for most often because they have Kane and Yelich. They made him very expendable, and so yeah, I'll go Moose as the best move. Yeah, I mean, were you were you happy, JP, with the production they got from Moose? Was that what you expected from him? Yeah, I mean, I expected him to be solid. I was actually surprised that he turned out to be the everyday third baseman, even when Shaw wasn't playing at second. Like, I mean, he was the guy that they turned to to be the everyday third baseman. And I think it was because they saw Shaw as the guy with more defensive versatility, being able to play first base and second base and kind of move all over and be the guy that they could use for double switches. Um, but, yeah, I, I to the point about kind of the return there, I do think that uh, Phillips and, and Jorge Lopez in terms of going to Kansas City, like that was actually a good return for Kansas City. But to the point, not all deals, right? I mean, like everybody says, who won the deal? You don't have to win the deal. If you're getting rid of pieces that don't impact your future potential, that don't impact what you're trying to do the rest of the year, they're kind of ancillary pieces if you want to call them that, like you can quote unquote lose a deal and still come out ahead. And so I think that actually it was one of the deals that made a lot of sense for both sides because guys like Phillips and guys like Ortiz, what they need is exactly what the Brewers were giving guys three years ago. And it was time. They just needed time. They just needed, they needed at bats. They needed innings and you needed to be okay with the fact that they weren't going to be good for stretches. And the Royals can absolutely do that. Um, and the Brewers weren't in a position to do it anymore. So it was a kind of a good move for both of them to be able to say, you know what, you're not going to be stuck in AAA. Go play up in the big leagues, get paid, move your career forward, and and thanks for everything. And Lopez tried to pull the classic uh, Brewers move of leaving the organization and then throwing a no-hitter. He was pretty close. What He, 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 he lost it in the ninth. ninth? Yeah, I think he had two more outs to go. Maybe with three outs. I don't remember. But he was in the ninth. It was in the ninth anyway when he, he lost a no-hitter. And he had a perfect game going pretty late, if I remember. Yeah, it was a great start. It was not a Juan Yavis no-hitter where who, he had like seven walks. Who, 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 caught, who caught that? Yeah, I don't know. JP, do you know who was catching that game? What team did Juan Yavis play for? <laughs> Do you know who caught that final out? <laughs> I don't know if any of you guys have seen this. Actually, you know, we laugh about it, but I'm pretty sure it's in the the uh, MLB TV archive. If you do want to go back and relive the the Brewers no-hitter, it is available on there. That is Excellent. their one moment. Yeah, I think the only reason I found that is, like, I was trying to explain MLB TV to my dad, and, like, I needed something to show him so he could watch. I'm like, hey, look at this. You're... You remember this, don't you? And it was, yeah, the one Nevis no hitter. So it is there. Um, we would we would put that in the one shining moment montage too. Like that, everything about 2018 breweries, and then at the end, make sure you have that in there too. Oh no, what you could have is is, is Rock probably shaking hands down on the field with Nevis, so you could show the no hitter, the old footage, and then you could show the current two guys, you know, down on the field when uh, the Marlins were in town. Yeah, Brewer World was reporting on on Nevis yes. and Schrader. He was right there. Some jobs with the team. Yeah, yeah, he's right there. He's he's Brewer World is uh, all over that story. If you want to follow that, so, um, but yeah, who else threw no hitters? Uh, Fires left. He threw a new hit, no hitter. Bazio did it years ago. He like threw one in Seattle or something like that immediately after he left. They've had they've had a few guys where they leave Milwaukee and they go out and they throw no hitters right away. Yeah, that's all I can think of. But it's been a couple. Yeah. So, um, okay, we got a question from uh, Joshua Nippa. Oh, JP, do you have something you want to add? 
Oh, I was just going to say, if you wanted to see what like collective regret was, it was go back on Twitter the night that uh, Jorge Lopez was throwing a no hitter or a perfect game into the ninth. And it was so many Brewers were like, did we let this guy go too early as like the Brewers were playing really well and like trying to like go for it. It was a collective regret for that. Well, yeah, there's always, you know, there are those types of people. I think we know one who is always worried that they're going to lose that next greatest player by trading away young guys, but that's just part of the game. You know, you're going to take some, you have to trust how they evaluate, you know, both what they're giving up and what they're getting back in trade. So uh, just, uh, just name me next time. Oh no. Hey, 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 no, you cannot. You cannot claim that you're that guy. We all know that Ryan's the one who lives with regret, regret. So, um, making it i was making a joke steve and then you had to explain it i was going to explain i'm going to make sure everybody knows just how bad ryan is about that so. yeah i was going to say since i'm the de facto ryan this week i feel like i was going to be getting the the brunt of most of the discussion but just because i'm in ryan's seat doesn't mean i get I if get you the, want to step ryan up treatment. if you want to step up and talk about who they should never trade that's you know i could put on i could put on the top hat <laughs> nice i think okay. that's uh that's our what our, our our title for the episode this week putting on the top hat yeah i think <laughs> it is that is so um okay joshua nippa asks uh jeremy jeffress has been had been cooked since the last week of the regular season discuss you know we we've kind of talked about this before jp i know you said that that his repertoire kind of changed do you think it was fatigue or did he just you know have to change the way he was pitching because stuff wasn't working. I have no idea. And that's the honest answer. I have no idea if it's fatigue. I have no idea if it was dealing with health stuff down the stretch. I have no idea if it was just kind of ineffectiveness. I have no idea. I, it, it could have just been a situation in which he felt more comfortable throwing this pitch at the end, or he just like kind of lost a feel for it since a splitter a long time. We've seen this with Guerra too. Like the splitter is a, is a field pitch something happened down the stretch where he was not willing to throw it whatsoever. And maybe the fact that he hung it to, to Justin Turner and he threw and he was able to hit a home run off of it. Um, maybe it was just a feel thing and he did try to go to it and he gave up a homer and he was just like, I don't want to throw it anymore. I'm not sure what the answer is. Yeah. Aside from two pitches, I think that I can, I'm trying to remember the, the JJ postseason run aside from two pitches, maybe three, if there's that NLDS game three that I believe story or not almost banged out of there, but he, he, he got a lot of he had a lot of, a lot of bad luck, a lot of bleeders. Uh, I mean, the problem he wasn't missing a ton of bats, but he was getting a lot of weak contact. And then, as you mentioned, he had he just he just gave up some some bombs with some hangers, which he didn't do during the regular season. Yeah, and we didn't see there, there wasn't an issue with velocity. We didn't see a velocity drop. He was throwing ninety four, ninety five, ninety six, which I think he's usually at. Um, the curveball command was kind of in and out, and yeah, there was no splitter. Was it a splitter that he threw to um, Turner? I thought it was a curveball that he hung, but I don't know if we're getting a little bit into the little too. I think it was a it was hard. It was a hard pitch. I don't uh, think yeah, it was. I think it was kind of his low nineties split change. Yeah. Just kind of, okay. Yeah, I know he tried to go high in the zone, and it just he didn't get it up high enough. And the crazy thing was, Turner had no clue on anything high in the zone. It wasn't even a terrible pitch. It was like no. in off the plate. Yeah, it, just, it wasn't a bad pitch, but Turner, if you got it up right at the top of the zone, he had no chance at it. But you could see with that swing, like 
oh, don't put it somewhere too hittable because he was ready to take anything. And they the had gotten him four times the night before, four strikeouts, including the one to win the game when Knable just kept climbing the ladder on him. And yeah, you're right. He couldn't he couldn't get up to that pitch, and JJ was just missing some spots, and they made him pay. Yeah. So, um, you know, it, what do we think Jeffress is going to – what's his role next season? Did did this late season run have any impact on how they use him next year? Or, you know, do you think they just kind of go back to, you know, this was his role in 2018 and we have faith him in, in 2019? I think it's going to be Hader and Knable being their two main bullpen guys. Um, and then I think Jeffress, depending on how he looks in the spring and what they what kind of moves that they make, I think he returns to kind of the sixth, seventh inning fireman to put him in a situation to see if he can uh, kind of rekindle what he was doing down the stretch last year. I don't know if Knable is going to be kind of the quote unquote closer again, but because even when he did clearly move to the role in which Knable was, you know, the dude that they wanted to use outside of Knable, he was pitching early in, in games again. He was not being saved for the ninth inning. So it'll be really interesting to see if, if council kind of uses the end of the year, strategy to return to what he was doing at the beginning of the year until they actually tried to lock guys down and kind of in, in regular roles. Um, my feeling is that they're going to probably try to return to something that has kind of a closer esque feeling to it, but I'm not sure. Yeah. That, that seems to be what, what I would be inclined to think as well. They're going to throw Knable in this quote unquote closer role, pitch him in the ninth inning. I mean, he was, if you're looking at him at, and I agree with the, uh, with you on the fact that Hader and Knable are kind of the guys that feel like they're going to be the big contributors, which is weird because Jeffers had like a what a one five one six ERA this year. But the, you know, if you're looking at the peripherals, like Knable was as good this year as he was the year before. He struck out like his strikeout percentage went down one point three percent. He his walk percentage went down three percent. So that's what's crazy. And he just got he got hurt by home runs. I mean, I'm look up his home run fly ball here. Twenty point six percent of fly balls left the yard on him. That's not well, gonna, that's not going to happen again. And and most of that was actually early in the year too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And meanwhile, like, oh, go ahead, Jay. Go ahead, Jay. Uh, I was gonna say once he hit September, did did he give up any runs in the postseason? Because that's I can't remember that one. Yeah, he, he one. was late in game game one. one. Yeah. And I think he came in as a kind of the fireman in that too, didn't he? When he gave up one of the runs, or did it? Ha- he came in in the ninth, and then he gave up the run when Kane couldn't quite get to that's what that it was. fly ball. Okay. So basically, like the end, the latter part of August until that inning in the postseason, he gave up zero runs and was just striking out almost like forty percent of the people. He he was unbelievable down the stretch, and and to Kurt's point, like. The point we had always got nervous and, and, you know, Steve used to put in our group chat all the time, like how he was just like, he's like, nope, he doesn't have his command. Like, get him out. Um, I have no. So, yeah, I have, I have no long term faith in any of these guys. Right. And so it was just one of those things. But down the stretch, like, I don't know if it was just like short memory or what was happening, but like, I actually was pretty confident that he was going to be able to control the zone. Yeah, he definitely had it in the postseason. There wasn't any point where I felt like he was shaky at all. And that was pitching a lot of innings. There was always this worry when, you know, he starts to put, pitch multiple innings in a game or he's pitching, you know, multiple days in a row and they're really using him a lot that that's when he's going to start losing the zone. But he really held it through the entire postseason. I, you know, it was it was Hater, and then I had 
pretty much just as much faith in Knable during that run as well. Yeah. So, yeah, they should be set, hopefully, at the back of the bullpen next season. And, Kurt, do you think, like, because you were talking about his transformation and, like, how good he was compared to last year. Do you think his late-season success was... They just kept saying again and again, and I think there's you know some merit to it that his curveball was actually really good, and he was able to he was able to spot it, which allowed him to get to his fastball. Do you think it was just it was literally once the curveball hit, it stuck? Do you think it was just a matter of like kind of returning from the injury, or what do you think was kind of getting him back on track down the stretch? A lot of it, I mean, anecdotally, a lot of it was that curve. The curveball was very good. He was throwing it for strikes early in the count, and that is maybe the biggest thing to to his success. Because if he if he's throwing ninety eight top of the zone at the letters, guys don't hit it. We've seen that no one ever hits that. But it, the curveball has been the issue, and all of a sudden people catch up to his fastball in the zone. Um, he did. I mean, the balls were not leaving the yard. That was a big help for him. That started to go down finally for him. Um, so it's almost like if he can continue to command the zone like he did at the end of the year, if if luck is on his side at all, he's he's going to be the horse alongside Hater. So that is going to do it for the show this week. Yeah, JP, you had something to add? No. Okay, he's going to back up. That's going to do it for the show this week. We do have a, a, a patron we want to thank though. So JP, you want to do that? Yeah, huge thanks to Jason Albert and anybody who is looking for uh, kind of our extra podcast for if you know if you want to go back and relive what was happening during the NLCS, if you didn't get a chance to see our extra uh, kind of emergency podcast that was blended in with our, our minor league extra, uh, Ryan and I had that on Patreon. So Jason Albert gets a chance to see that by going on to, pay, to Patreon to see all of that. But you don't actually need to be um, kind of at our ball and glove logo to see level to see that one but a huge thank you to, to jason albert for that and we've got uh hopefully some good stuff coming off over the the winter and we're gonna hopefully have some more guests on for the for those specials as well yeah we'll be working on that so and we want to thank uh kurt hoag again for showing up and filling in for ryan wearing that top hat my top hat wearing that top hat and again uh give us your your twitter handle uh at c y r t hoag h-o-g-g and oh, what are you what are you covering coming up? What can people look for? Uh, you can always look for that good high school sports coverage. We've got state soccer, state volleyball, state football coming up. Uh, I will never sleep. No, you're really in the busy season. And I don't even right have now. any kids. No, you don't need any. <laughs> you're following everybody else's kids around the state. You don't need any kids right now. So, again, thanks, uh, thanks for showing up. And if anybody wants to go to Twitter support to try to get Kurt's handle back. I think everybody would really appreciate getting Kurt uh, his actual Twitter handle that he needs. So you can go to Twitter. Was it Twitter support? Is that who needs to, to hear about this? Yeah, that's usually, I usually either tweet at Twitter or Twitter support or verify. No, verify doesn't do it. Never mind. Yeah, because no, the, the actual C-U-R-T is it's just like a dead account i was hoping they would get rid of him in the russian bot cleansing they didn't do that well i think russian bots tweet and this guy like hasn't done anything because no. i think i've seen you you pointed out before and i checked it i'm like it's it's all zeros it's all zeros he doesn't do anything he's just holding it on he's probably waiting for you to write that check <laughs> you know those reporters and the big the big bucks they make so get, write that check out to him right so anyways check out kurt's stuff uh a lot of it most of it all of it all of it's on JS. All of it's on JS. All of it's on JS online. Tons of stuff going right now with high school sports winding down this fall season. So check all that out. Uh, remember, you can join our Patreon by visiting Patreon.com/slash/MKETailgate. Patrons at the ball and glove level will receive the monthly minor league extra podcast. As always, follow us on Twitter at MKETailgate. You can also submit questions to Milwaukee's.tailgate at gmail.com or through our Facebook page for Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast. 
Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, in the Google Play Store, and we're on Spotify, so uh, check it out there. You can also leave reviews and help people find the podcast. So thanks for listening. Look for us again next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate.